Good morning. Welcome into the show. It is Daniel Werbin coming to you live from the Dreamaginate Sports Studios. It is 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. West Coast wake-up call and all time zones in between. Thank you for tuning in this Thursday morning, June the 20th. Coming up in just a few minutes, we will have Dawn Crow, and uh, we are excited to have her joining us. She is the head coach of UW-Stevens Point, and... um, Looking forward to that conversation. Also today, we have the U.S. women's national team uh, taking on Sweden. Uh, so uh, going to be tracking uh, that match, getting ready for uh, that action. Uh, if the U.S. wins or draws, they win the group. If Sweden wins, they win Group F. So there still is something to play for. Uh, we will see uh, how that goes. Sweden really has nothing to lose here, and I expect that they um, attempt to bring the game to the U.S. I don't anticipate Sweden wa- wanting to settle for a draw, and it will be interesting to see how the U.S. Uh, handles that and plays uh, with that. Uh, in terms of the Netherlands and Canada, they are even on goal difference. They are tied on points atop Group E. And so goal scored, I believe, is the next tiebreaker that uh, has the Netherlands ahead of Canada. Um, I think that's another situation where Canada, like Sweden, are going to try to get something out of this match. And uh, will be interesting to see how the Netherlands handle that. Um uh, that match when when that uh, group E is being decided uh, one and two in both group E and F Cameron New Zealand Chile Thailand all on zero points so those teams will be seeing what they can get done uh, on the field in terms of scoring some goals and getting some points um, and in trying to to uh, advance. The difference between Group E and Group F is that in in Group F, you have the um, U.S. women's national team facing off against Sweden. In uh, Group E, they are not playing each other. So, um, you know, kind of looking at um, what... uh, what is coming in terms of of those two groups today? It will be interesting to follow, um, and and to you know see what is the mentality of Sweden. What is their what is their goal in terms of are they going to try to are they just going to kind of see this out and and, and be happy with second place or are they going to go for it? In the case of Group E, when you have and, and, and the Group E matches are at noon Eastern, the Group F matches are at uh, three Eastern. When when the Netherlands um, uh, play, they are um, oh, excuse me, Netherlands are playing Canada today uh, atop of Group E. So I, I had that mixed up. So yes, so at at noon Eastern, the Netherlands and Canada, which is one and two in Group E, are facing off. So it'll be interesting to see if Canada and Sweden take the same um, 
mindset and try to go for the win or are they happy with what they see uh, only time will tell on on that side of things yesterday we saw uh, some drama uh, in uh, in the match between Argentina and Scotland and this was in group D Scotland were up three nil three nil past the 70th minute and go on to draw 3-3. They give up a penalty. They're up 3-2. They give up a penalty. Um, I don't I don't think there could be any argument over the penal, penalty itself. However, in the moments leading up to that exchange of play, the referee botched a Scotland substitution. They were playing... Uh, with with only 10 on the field and, and the substitute was trying to get on the field. And so in, in that regard, that, that passage of play that led, you know, immediately to the uh, penalty uh, was on the referee. A botched, a botched handling of that moment, which put Scotland in a bind, player fouls, penalties called. Uh, it was a clear penalty, but the you know Scotland scrambling um, with with ten trying to cover things and people were out of position because the player wasn't allowed uh, to get on in time, etc. So Scotland gives up the penalty. The keeper saves the penalty, and we get another VAR review, and it's ruled that the keeper left her line too early and. Uh, therefore, it was retaken. Argentina scores 3-3, and that knocked Scotland out of the World Cup. They were they were going to be on four points um, t- uh, in second place in the group, tied on points with Japan, and second in the group to last in the group with only one point with three matches played with a negative two goal difference and out of the world cup. So, um, the Scottish, the Scottish ladies, I'm sure are devastated, um, and frustrated with themselves, frustrated with the referee. Um, you know, it was, a it, it, when they look back on this world cup, there's going to be some lessons. I think that they're, they're going to look to, uh, to learn and overcome heading into, um, future world cups and future play because, um, it, there, there were definitely some things I think they could correct in terms of, uh, tactics, um, the way they were set up to play by the coach uh, some substitutions, and then obviously when you're three to zero and you can't see it out, that's a problem. So you know a lot of drama yesterday in that match. Uh, last night, Copa America, Argentina, Paraguay. Man, um, if you're not watching Copa America, number one, find it on ESPN Plus. You can get every match in English uh, or Portuguese. I'm not sure where the Spanish broadcast is being covered, uh, but I know that on ESPN Plus you can get English and Portuguese. The When, when you watch Argentina-Paraguay, good Lord, that is, that is a shell of a team. It, it looks like a Sunday league team thrown out there with Messi. 
Um, there's no structure. There's no system. Guys are just running around. Um, it, you know, the thing that makes Messi so good is you basically let him play as like a joker. You let him, you, 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 you give him, you know, assignments of, of certain things, but then you also allow him to find the game. And, and, and that's one of the things that, that, He's he's kind of genius level about he he can drop into spaces he'll look for the the areas on the field where he can exploit the the opponent etc and you give you give him that freedom you give him that freedom to move around um, and 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 in Barcelona one of the things that that they did especially under Pep Guardiola and in the with Tito Villanova. Uh, as well, and, and to a lesser extent, uh, extent with Luis Enrique, Tata Martino, um, not quite as much because they're they're not they're not necessarily positional play managers in the way that that Pep and Tito were, but even still, what they would do is they would they would say, okay, Messi, you rotate in here, you play in this space, and give him freedom, to kind of move around in that area, and then they would rotate their other players on the field to cover other areas. So um, a classic rotation at Barcelona under Pep Guardiola is if Messi was out wide as a right wing forward as a number seven, and he would tuck in into kind of that number 10 attacking space, then the right back would move up and kind of occupy either the center back or the right back and the midfielder would kind of drop and cover the space left by the right back. And so you had this kind of triangle rotation. Well, when you look at Argentina, it's as if every player on the field has been given complete license and freedom to just run anywhere. I mean, it really looks like uh, a coach going, okay, here's how we're going to play. And he goes goes to the ground, looks at his team, and, and puts, you know, four cones in a row in the back, uh, three cones in the middle, uh, triangle, and then put three cones in a line up top and say, okay, we're going to play four through three. All right, now go get them. And think that they actually just told their team how to play. When, when you put four cones on the ground in a row – put a triangle of three cones and then three cones above that and say, okay, we're going to play four through three. Now go play. You didn't tell your team how to play. You told your team where to line up at a kickoff. Any of those rotations been defined? Any of the positioning been defined? Any pattern play along the top been defined? No. So you didn't tell your team how to play. You really put them at a disadvantage and it is it is embarrassing to watch um, Argentina be this bad. And when I say they're this bad, if you're not watching, it is unbelievable. And it is has nothing to do, zero, zip, nada, nothing to do with Messi. Any person that's that's casting uh, blame on Messi for this is is shouldn't be listened to um, in terms of analysis. This has all to do with player selection and the coaching, and it is abysmal. Um, I'm not saying that Argentina right now is loaded with amazing players top to bottom, but 
what we're seeing, it, it's embarrassing for the country. I don't see how this coach lasts much longer. It's uh, it's just not good. So um, they they are on one point after two games in the group stage of Copa America and are on life support to see whether they can even get out of the group, which would be a complete and utter shock and disappointment for uh, everyone. But anyone who's been paying attention to this uh, Argentine national team over the last couple of years can tell you that it's not been trending in the right direction, and they, they need a major overhaul and redo of, of what they're doing there in Argentina. So um, today's sponsor this half hour is Dut Kick Brand. You can learn more about Dut Kick Brand at D-U-T-K-I-G brand.com. Again, that is D-U-T-K-I-G brand.com. There you can get your session planners, your goalkeeping um, notebooks, waterproof paper. It's unbelievable uh, products that they have. If you don't know about them, check them out at DuckKickBrand.com. Use offer code, promo code DWSHOW to get 10% off your order. DWSHOW to get 10% off your order at DuckKickBrand.com. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the show. We have Don Crow joining us. She is the head coach of UW Stevens Point. Don, welcome to the show, and how are you this morning? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I'm trying to get back on um, normal time here <laughs> for the most part. I haven't caught up with my plane and travel. So, so um, were you able to to go over and take in some of the World Cup in France? Uh, yeah, we actually uh, we took our um, college team um, over there for we were over there uh, June sixth through the seventeenth, and so we got to see um, five uh, games, and then um, we got to play two, and then just obviously sightseeing. We started in Italy and then came into Nice and. Um, did kind of the roundabout and then finished with the U.S. Chile game in Paris. 
So um, it was a great, uh, great opportunity for the girls and nice to kind of catch up with some people I hadn't seen in a while. So it was kind of fun. So when you when you take your team over to to Europe um, and play, what what are you seeing in terms of level of competition over there versus your college players? It's really interesting. So obviously the the Harvard Sports Group is who we did our tour through, and um, our guide was amazing, um, Flavio, um, and so they, he set up games for us. Um, we played a team um literally almost like the next night after we got in so we were a little jet lag and it definitely showed but um you know there's still the physical you know and it's kind of like when you watch our national team play there's still the we are still physically dominating over them you know in terms of speed in terms of aggression in terms of but um where i think even our our college girls kind of struggle sometimes is um, they're reactionary rather than kind of reading what the game is, is really kind of giving you. So they're thinking two or three steps ahead compared to our girls who are like maybe one step. So like the game of soccer, they may play a little bit better, but like putting it all together, I think, um, you know, where we can get the physicality and actually playing and, and um, kind of that side of it, I think is, you know, I mean, it's been a strength of the U.S. women forever. You know, people are starting to catch up in terms of the athleticism and now can play a little bit better. But, um, you know, you see it on the youth level a lot there, you know, with the the teams that that we played at least. Speaking of, you know, other countries starting to catch up, what what are you seeing in terms of from countries like England, Netherlands, Spain, Italy, France, uh, in terms of their ability now to to give the U.S. women's national team a game, to compete with them, what, what are you seeing in terms of their development in those countries that's allowing them to be more competitive on a global stage? You there? Yes. Sorry, I don't know what that was. Uh, I have no idea. So basically, we were a- we were we were asking, um, you know, what are you seeing from Italy, France, Spain, um, England that's allowing them their development that is allowing them to compete uh, with the U.S. women women's national team, you know, on a global stage. Oh, you know, even like if you take Italy, like Italy has mandated that every single. Italian first division club have a women's program and they fund it. So you're starting to see that takeover in terms of their development. I mean, I, I think everybody would easily say they're kind of that surprise at the world cup. Um, you know, so you have, you have people putting more resources into it. Um, you know, I thought, um, it's, it was, it was actually kind of interesting, you know, we watched the Dutch play. We watched, um, so we watched them play Cameroon. We watched the England Scotland game, which my heart goes out to Scotland. Um, I just, if I think if they would have used um, VAR the way they use it now for the women's game in the men's World Cup, I, you'd have people freaking going ballistic um, on on all that taking 
PKs and making them redo them. <laughs> I'm like going, what the heck? What about the encroachment on the other side of it? You know, you can't just pick what you want to focus on. Um, but, you know, I think that's opening up a whole new can of worms. But then, like, like the Spanish team, gosh, if they could find, like, a legit goal scorer, like, I mean, they're great box-to-box. It's like, okay, now what um, type of a deal? So I think, you know, the game, the women's game has gotten so much better on an international scale um, that, you know, the type, you know, type of resources that are getting pumped in everywhere else but in America for that, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think I personally think we're going to start losing out players to go overseas because the money they can make over there is going to be better than they can make here. So, you know, I think soccer overall is just, you know, I'm excited for it. Um, you know, I would have loved to do it back in the day when I was still playing, but like the thought of what's to come and leaving it better for the younger generation. I mean, like it, it, gets me giddy <laughs> it's definitely encouraging to see the the resources and uh, attention and priority focus being placed on the women's game now um i and, and in the end even though it's going to make it uh tougher for the u.s to compete on a global stage I think that that competition is good, and uh, you know if we if we learn from it and, and, and inspires or motivates um, the U.S. to 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 do more to get better, then you know I think we can we can turn it into a positive for sure. Um, oh, we- I I totally agree on that side. I think it'll be interesting. You know, I mean, the typical to, to me the typical sports fan in America. I mean. You know, no offense to anybody, but, you know, we're fair weather fans and, and we do a great job of supporting winners and that's about it. You know, it's like, um, you know, you look over seas and you see teams play, you're like, you know, you support your team. Everybody has one team. It's not like, you know, you get laughed at if you supported millions of different teams and, well, I like this team here. I like this team here. Like that's kind of a joke overseas. Um so to me, it, you know, that's it, you know, well, why would I want to watch soccer when I can go watch this or when I can go watch this or, you know, that type of a deal here in the, in the States. But now if, you know, it's always funny because as soon as the world cup on the women's side comes now, all of a sudden, all these people want to be part of it, you know, and want to be, um, <clears throat> you know, there for when something truly exciting happens, but you know, like, I mean, Anson did a great job for us when we were in college, really getting and hammering home the fact that it's your job to continue the game, you know, will the game continue in a certain way. And so, you know, you may not be the most, you know, wealthy, well-off player, but it's also your job to go and buy season tickets for, you know, a team close to you. And you may not use them, but you have people who could use them and support the league to keep it going. And so, you know, that was you know, I mean, he definitely nailed that home consistently with all the youth clinics we did and all the other community service stuff we did, because it's a, it's a, it's an important part of showing the whole thing of soccer. And I think that, um, you know, if we can figure out how to do it, it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens. So when we look at the the developments 
let's let's look in Italy for a se- for a second. You know, with the the, mm-hmm. the, the development in Italy, the women's teams now uh, being a placed as a priority by um mm-hmm. the the italian federation and you have right. these you know uh these these teams being funded uh in and operated uh throughout italy and we and we look at the u.s struggling with nine teams we have the the gold standard of a women's national team but we only have nine teams in our professional league and now you're mm-hmm. seeing countries like Italy. It, so it's it's not just amount of a player can get paid, but the fact that there's even more playing opportunities or more slots because there's more clubs Correct. with women's teams. Um, mm-hmm. So so I mean, money could be the same. Money could be even less in Italy. But you know, when you only have nine teams, there's only so many places to go around. Um, what, well, and just the discrepancy within those teams is just amazing. I mean, you look at. Look at Sky Blue again. I mean, they traded um, the girl from South Carolina to the Chicago Red Stars. Like, like, you know, great, you get two more draft picks, but, you know, your two draft picks this year decided not to play with you, you know? So, you know, you, you look at standard of care that those athletes are, like, you know, I mean, even Jess McDonald said, you know, I thought about quitting because – it's hard to raise a kid on that salary that they're getting. But like, you know, I find it interesting in how things are funded as well. And obviously, you know, it's just touching the surface, but part of the lawsuit that the women are having is it's the opportunity. It's not just about money. It's the, you know, can you fund our um, league? Like you funded the MLS for so long, you know, I mean, they only started just starting getting, um, in the black, correct, in terms of the actual league making money, right? You know, and and it was backed by U.S. Soccer. Well, everything that the women have tried, you know, yes, the salary for the women have been backed if they're on the national team, but not anything else in terms of that, where they did more for the men's side. So, you know, it's that opportunity for doing stuff. You know, think about the, if they would have pumped in those resources when they first asked for it, as opposed to being forced to ask for it. You know what I mean? So, you know, they, they had a, you know, I mean, just the thought of seeing somebody like a Mallory Pugh in the league earlier, or, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do with Olivia um, with the Portland Thorns. I mean, for a 13 year old to basically say, okay, I'm going pro like, great. She knows what she wants, but by the same token, okay, there's no model for her. And, and, and her growth. And so it'll be interesting to see where that kind of takes them as well. So you have this and you have like even the English Premier League. I mean, what is it? Visa pumped in a ton of money. Barclays pumped in a ton of money, you know, and now it's basically this feasible thing. And I think part of that too is probably with Neville coaching them, you know, it gives a little bit more of a valid validation to the fact that look the women's game they're doing well so obviously again they're going to have more support in that area but like it just seems that you know the u.s is no longer it's not the only place to play anymore i mean even australia their w league during that time where we're you know our league on break everybody goes down there to play so you know, like it, 
that side of it is a struggle for me because there's so many other resources that are available and it's like, you know, you have to hit U.S. soccer over the head with, with something in order to get them to realize what it kind of feels like sometimes. <laughs> or it's like, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's a little bit to me like it, it is with Carolina soccer because I always laugh because we were damned if we do, damned if we don't, right? Um, so if we don't win a national title, with the cheapest budget of any of the schools, then it's, Oh, something's wrong. But it, when we do, it's like, well, why do you need more money? You've your budget's this and you still win. So it's kind of like that catch 22. It's like, okay, well, what are we going to do here? <laughs> well, um, I think you're, I think you're right on point in terms of what's going on um, in terms of a, of a, of a na- nationwide system level and and that was really kind of where i was going with that because when we look overseas and we compare that to what we have it's not just amount, uh, the amount of money a national team player might be making mm-hmm. but it's also the depth you know in the roster where you've got players that are making you know $10,000 i think is the minimum Correct. salary of the NWSL it's it's laughable that you're you're treating uh, that as professional soccer with a straight face uh, from the federation, and and mm-hmm. and and one of the things about uh, you know subsidizing major league soccer that you brought up that I think a lot of people either don't know or they they've forgotten is that in 2002 major league soccer was about to shut down. The whole thing was about to mm-hmm. go down, and Chuck Blazer. Um, you know, who, who got caught up in all of the, the FIFA scandals, uh, got involved right. with uh, helping uh, construct basically Soccer United marketing for Major League Soccer. And, 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 and in that second entity and in putting it with U.S. soccer in terms of a, of a non-compete or, or no-bid contract and allowing – uh, soccer United marketing to basically get the U.S. men's and women's national team rights, um, media rights, and so forth, and also eventually the Mexican national team rights. Forty percent of that when it when they play in the U.S. Which you know if you if you look back to I think it's about 2006 on anytime Mexico uh, plays a friendly, not a you know a competitive match, they, those are, are going right. to be played on, on home soil or wherever the tournament is. But whenever they're playing friendly matches, most of their matches are now played in the U.S. And it's part of this Soccer United marketing contract. And 40% of that uh, revenue is going into Soccer United marketing. All of that money is, is where Major League Soccer makes – most of their money it's not actually off of mls it's off of these these contracts with these national teams and these events and the u.s women's national team is part of that bundle so that that money is going to the major league soccer owner operators not to the nwsl owner operators and 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 so that all of that revenue even though the, the tv contract that U.S. soccer and MLS share that are bundled in one TV deal is is like ninety million a year, and that's a that's a joke compared to the rest of the world. Even right. in that, there there's a like forty ish million that is is going right back out the door 
to to MLS that that's not part of the U.S. Um, revenue. It's it's lost. It's uncaptured revenue, and and uh, and that means that's money in the in the U.S. women's national team and and the NWSL side of the ledger that is is not available. Um, you know, right. to, you know, to be operated on. So, you know, when we, when we look at that from a resourcing standpoint, we've got to get better. We also need to get more, you know, more than nine teams. We've got to, when, when, when we look at, and I sat in a, in a, um, about a year and a half ago, I sat in a presentation uh, from the NWSL and they were kind of going over like where they are, where they've come from, what they're looking to do. And I left that presentation going, oh, my gosh, this is MLS in 1996. Like, they have literally pulled out the same playbook from 1996, starting MLS. <laughs> Why didn't we learn? Why didn't we go, mm -hmm. hey, 2002 was coming, and, and, we, and we almost failed? Why didn't we learn that lesson so that we didn't have contraction in Boston with the breakers? Why did why did we not figure out other opportunities, ways to get this league more viable, cut down some of the travel costs, et cetera? Because that's where I mm -hmm. think we've got to get to in order to to have the women's game uh, thrive domestically. How do you see that? You know, I think it's I, I think, you know, I, I'm, I I would say I'm a soccer purist, but I'm also a little bit. Um, you know, I, like I, for me, the fact that the Boston team went away—you know—I think we got to get that back as like a ode to Tony. Um, you know, just with the amount of work that that his family put in for that whole thing. Um, you know, I, I, I definitely think Boston needs to be back in. I think Dallas needs to have a team. You know, you've got Houston right there. I would like to—I'd like to see them expand because ultimately. You know the the league has been approved as in ground for us to get other people that maybe are late bloomers for our national team, you know. Um, but again, it's inspiring the youth to play as well. So, you know, you know, if you see it, you can be it. And and right now, there's not a lot of opportunities for other people to see. You know, I mean, it was, you know, going into a bar and say, "Excuse me, can you put on Lifetime?" It really doesn't go over well. Um, to watch the watch the games, you know, last year when they had that contract, um, you know, but at the same time, it's like you're taught to be grateful for the fact you had that contract. So, um, or a way to watch watch them play, um, you know. And I just find it interesting that there's not a entity that would say, "Hey, we'll take care of the the you know um, the the ability to watch." watch it on TV so people can see it. Um, you know, like at the at um the game in, in uh against Chile it was nice because Luna's sitting there and obviously they, you know, ponied up some money and said, Hey, we'll take care of it. It's you know, this but um they were also handing out um blue shoelaces to kind of again make point of the fact that the the pay gap and, and stuff of that nature. So I thought that was super cool. And if, you know and I can tell you right now, as soon as they announced that they were going to do that, I mean, hello, who wouldn't want to go have a Luna bar? Um, <laughs> you know, if you're, right? if, if, if you're aware of what's going on. So, you know, I think some um, places are missing the boat on that. You know, um, it, it's just, like I said, it's just really interesting in terms of what people want to promote and what they don't want to promote. And, you know, I mean, you've got a winning program. And, you know, maybe it takes us not winning for a couple of years, 
which was kind of what, you know, I kind of feel like that's kind of what happened with, you know, us going those 19 years without winning a World Cup. And I was like, what the heck's going on? What's wrong with them? What's what, you know? And it's just, okay, we've got to figure out a different way to do something. And, and you know, putting people in those t- positions to to make those type of decisions, you know, it's it's, it's a very interesting um, look at stuff, you know, because you, you see it. You see it across the board, you know, but at the same time, what's really interesting to me is you have, you know, like you look at the Matildas in Australia and the men have basically, you know, we're going to be paid the same. We're going to be paid the same. Like, like you have them jumping on board with stuff, you know, I mean, our, you know, I wouldn't say our best known or our loudest mouth person promoting but not promoting our game just trying to be the devil's advocate all the time with lawless you know like why is he on a women's podcast or a women's thing like he brings nothing to the game from the women's side. <laughs> you, you just like, i i just want to i like just bitter. i want to interrupt you for one second and just say that you have uh-huh. just now become my favorite guest continue continue <laughs> I just, my whole issue with it, you know, like I was dying because I think somebody, like you said, I would never have celebrated like that. And it was funny because somebody posted on Twitter a picture of him celebrating like a complete, utter idiot. And someone's like, can someone please let me know what, what the context of this goal was? And I think it was like four to nothing or whatever. And then somebody else was like, oh, it, it just takes so long to go through his 25 goals that he scored in his lifetime. I don't want to sit through that, inter- that, that video reel. Like, to me, like you can't compare the men's program to the women's program, and and you know I almost feel like look you you made your name solely by how you wore your hair and the fact that you were great in the air, but from a understanding I mean you were a horrible GM with in the MLS. <laughs> not, not once, not twice, but three times. I just I I don't know, like. You know, he did great things for the men's program at the time that they need him. But, you know, I'd rather support Jeff Vegas or somebody else at that, you know, that time. So I just, like, my whole thing is literally I feel like he's on that stage solely to bring angst um, and everything's not joyful or whatever. I just think he's kind of a Debbie Downer <laughs> in general, so... Well, looking at excellence and, you know, reaching for greatness, um, mm-hmm. you you spent your college career at the University of North Carolina playing for Anson Dorrance and winning four national championships. What was it about that culture there at North Carolina that created an environment for greatness and excellence that resulted in winning four championships you know it, it's funny looking back on it now I, I i was a total complete idiot I, I didn't take it for what it was worth during that time frame um you know i was that you know i admit it and i i'm sure anson laughs every time i get to admit it um but i appreciate him letting me fail on my own um <laughs> but you know, it's it's that competitiveness. Like, what drove me to go to Carolina was the fact that I, you know, and it's, it's the same quality I look in for kids that I recruit here at UWSP is 
I want kids who hate to lose more than they love to win. Like it's a sustainable mental drive, you know, where like it's not the winning part that makes me get going and and do stuff. It's that not wanting to lose and you're not going to beat me and you're not going to, you know, and I'm going to get better because you're forcing me to get better. And every single day you're in that environment. I mean, like I, I joke now with my kids and, and, um, they were making fun of me when we were in, um, at the, um, women's national team game on, um, the 16th. They were like, who do you not know? Who do you like? We're in France and like all these people are coming up and give me a hug or whatever. And I was like, this is my world. This is, this is what I'm used to. And I said, you know, every single day I got to go up against Mia and Christine Lilly. Like, are you kidding me? Like who that we played against? was going to give me that one-two punch. Like the closest we got to it during my playing time was when we played Shannon McMillan and Tiffany Milbury at Portland, you know? But like, you know, I mean, they're great players, but they're not Christine and Mia, <laughs> you know? Right. It's like I get them and then you throw in a Rita Tower or a Debbie Keller or, you know, like, like I'm going to be prepared for whoever you play against me, you know? Like that's a pretty sweet way to look at things, you know? And so it's like my, my practice was harder than a lot of games that we played at that time. You know, now it's kind of evened out and stuff, but like, how can you not get better in that environment if you totally take advantage of that environment? And I I can honestly say I didn't. Now I appreciate it a lot more than, than I did um, as a student athlete there. But, you know, the way Anson has it all set up is it's about, intellectual growth it's about mentality growth it's about your game growth you know I came in and I could put a ball where I wanted to um which helped in terms of you know giving a better ball to Mia and Lil and Fisher you know or Ange like that group so it was like obviously they made me look great but at the same time it was like can you compete with them can you get better can you do the things you needed to do to get to that next level and and those guys helped me get there so it was you know it was your right within that group that if somebody wasn't busting their butt that you could totally call them out on it which a lot of women struggle with you know because you're like oh I still want them to like me I still you know but ultimately you know we can go at each other for an hour and a half playing wise but as soon as we step across the line it's totally different and and it's a tough place to get but he has made it where that's the expectation. And, and, you know, if you're a player looking to become greater than what you are, I mean, my God, from an academic setting, um, I mean, Carolina, I mean, it's just a gorgeous place. Now, the other part that I was a huge Carolina basketball fan, like probably more so than anything else. And, you know, I got to watch some amazing teams play. I was a huge music has always been a big passion of mine. And, I saw Dave Matthews in a venue that was only 30 people. I saw, you know, so it was like that whole music genre that came out of there um, during that period of time with Dave Matthews and um, Five for Fighting and, you know, that whole, like, you know, we saw them in the smallest venues you possibly could see. And, and it's just amazing. Like, I love that aspect of it. When you, so, when you took this uh, job with UWSP, uh, 
what were what were some of the things that you were looking to do in terms of your own environment, your own um, culture that you were going to try to create there with UWSP in, in terms of the program, players, your staff, etc. Well, it's kind of a catch twenty two. So when I um, my last coaching job in college before that was at Duquesne, and um, you know, young and dumb come to mind with that with that process. Uh, you know, I joke and say anybody who played for me when I was there, like, I, you know, it's almost like I want to just apologize half the time, but it was like I was so close to them in age. I was, you know, trying to keep it. But the reality of it is nowadays you have to become, you know, you've got to figure out what makes each player tick. you got to figure out and have a relationship with those players to get them to to buy into what you're trying to do, but also to let them know that you care more about them as a as a person as opposed to just a player. Um, and and that was something when when I was looking at coming up here, um, one of the people I spoke to was uh, Linda Hamilton because um, she had just gone from D1 down to D3, and she's like, you're going to absolutely love it. The kids will run through a wall for you. They don't have to be there. You're not going to have those awkward money conversations. Um, that you can't really say anything about, you know, when they come in and say, well, you gave so-and-so more money. And you're like, I did. Oh, I didn't give them any, you know, but you can't necessarily say that. So that, that conversation is totally out of there. And so um, UWSP used to be a phenomenal program. Sheila um, Meese did a great job. And it was kind of like the Carolina of Division Three. You know, they won the conference tournament, you know, 15 out of 16 times. They did all this other stuff. And so it was really a phenomenal program and then it took drastic steps within three years to basically um kind of change that they went from making every single tournament conference tournament to not making anything and they went from making the being top 15 to not even making their tournament so you know top 15 nationally to you know i think we've gotten the the team back on track um and we've done that some from the girls developing that culture um, you know, I say consistently we facilitate it, but it's their culture that they have kind of uh, have kind of made. And so we talk about um, being a family. They come over to our house um, quite a bit during the season for meals and and, and not just our house, but like our other assistant. And, and, you know, basically that we take turns hosting them during preseason type of a deal. Um but then also getting to know each other. What you know? Why are we playing? What are we doing? Um, you know, what what? How do we want this to kind of fit together? And talking about accountability and holding each other um, accountable from even just the grade standpoint. And so we've pretty much tried to just revamp that culture and and give them something to kind of play for and play for each other and. You know, we um, had the highest GPA of any of the athletic teams on campus at a 3.57 um, with 21 kids. So that's kind of impressive. Um, you know, and like I said, we look for kids who are very self-motivated. Um, you know, we've passed on some kids that could have helped us on the field, sure. But at the same time, I don't, I don't know very many people would have played for them um, just because of the ego or attitude that they kind of had. And so we've we've really kind of um, gone in and, and looked at the core of, of the value system that these players have and whether they mesh you know, well with us 
in terms of what we're looking to do. You know, I tell our girls a ton that it's not about me. Like I've been there, done that. We can get you where you want to go, but it's up to you guys to um, epitomize what our team's about and, and, you know, how, how you guys can get there. And I can tell you that probably one of the biggest things we did was let them set their culture, but also um, recruit um, characters. I hate saying that word, but it's like we, you know, we we had a kid who just would come to practice and sing Disney songs all the time. So how can you not be in a great mood? We, you know, but there was a flair to her game that, you know, when push comes to shove, that's going to come up and show its face as opposed to um, somebody who has no. Um, you know, in and outgoing and whatever, and just kind of um, kind of goes to the backside, and, and it becomes too much for them. Um, so we we looked for people like that who would say, you know, hop on, let's go. And I think it's been a great, um, you know, a, a great time. I mean, we went from finishing last in the conference, and last year in our conference, we didn't lose a game. Um, you know, we were right on the outskirts of making the NCAA tournament. Um, we lost two games last year, so. You know, it, like I'm hoping for more this year, but at the same time, you know, it, it's about the team that we have. It's about doing what we're asking them to do. And we've got some great kids coming in and we have some great kids coming back. So it's going to be a fight for those positions. And, you know, we tell the girls when we get here that it's my job to recruit over you and I'm going to do that. But it's also my job and it's the fun part of my job to get you ready to compete with those kids that are coming in. So the spring season for me, you know, even though it's 15 days, basically, like, we're, we're pushing you to get better. And they're the type of players that continue that after they leave here for the summer. So it's kind of, it's kind of nice. I don't have to, you know, check in on them or worry about them or any of that kind of stuff. And, and I think with taking them to Europe, I think um, they have a whole new perspective on what it is that they want to do. When when we look at the landscape of college soccer, what would you, what changes would you make to make it better? You know, it's interesting. Like I like to think of myself as a purist. Um, you know, I'm like whether we play on grass or turf seems to be a big thing with a lot of people. But to me, if you know, playing up in the north and you never know what type of weather you're getting. If if you have a turf surface, it's a it's both teams are playing on it. You know, it's better for the student athlete if I'd rather play on that than a soggy, sloppy field that somebody could get hurt on. You know, um, you know, I know from the the Division One level, I know a lot of coaches don't like the fact that you can sub through on your whole roster. Um, you know, I, I don't know if they're just sick of the way Carolina plays and he can bring so many people on all the time, um, so he can keep that. Um, high pressure um, on the team, but like other people are starting to do it. Um, so you have a lot of that where, you know, at the D3 level, you know, it's about playing players. So, you know, you, you, you have that mix of it. Um, you know, also with missing of school, that kind of stuff. I think, you know, I think there's certain things that need to be fixed in terms of, you know, why can't the referees keep the time on the field? Why can't the clock go up? Um, <laughs> and keep it going up. Um, but I think, but I think a lot of times it's it's um, people trying to 
associated it with other sports and well this is what they do with this why can't you do the same thing um i think there's some of that um but it, you know like overall i th- like i think it's a it's a good model for what it was there to do you know obviously division one you're you're trying to make kids or um players you know the next level and also give them an education um and and i think that that becomes a bigger thing i would like to see you know i like the idea of what the division one men's program is doing with making it a year-round sport um i think it's a heck of a lot better for the student athlete from an injury standpoint um you know i think i think you're going to alleviate um the need for um you know you probably won't have as many red shirt type kids um, because if you get injured in the spring, you know, unless it's an ACL or something major on that end, but you're going to, they're going to be able to play again in the, you know, and if they get hurt in the fall, they can play again in the spring. Um, it also gives you more time to practice with them. And, and, you know, maybe my hope would be that the game gets better. Like the product you're putting on the field gets better um, because they're not as tired. They're not as run down. They're not, you know, worn out per se. Um, but I think again, until there's that some type of model, you know, the other part is, it, will it come back to backfire if it worked, you know, if it doesn't work, you know, is it going to get what, what you want out of it? And so you're kind of playing with fire in terms of if it passes and you don't like it, the probability of you going back to how it was is slim to none. So I, I, I think a lot of times, you know, it's that be careful what you wish for and what's, you know, here you go. It's like, you know, sometimes with that recruiting calendar now that we have at the division one level, it's like, well, yeah, I want to spend time with my family. Well, now that's great. But like now you're on the road just as much, just in different times, time slots. So, you know, cause it's still keeping up with the Joneses. Well, they're going there. I got to be seen too, you know? And so it's, you know, to me, it'd be more of just, um, figuring out, um, you know, there's certain tournaments we go to and certain tournaments we don't go to. Like, our, like it has, it has some to do with money, but it's more like, well, we don't really recruit that type of kid or, um, you know, oh, that's great. So-and-so's going there, but we're not going there, you know, and, and it's just taking that presence of knowing what you did recruiting wise, that you've set yourself up to be successful in the type of student athletes that you're recruiting and, and, you know, it helps when the players you have are talking well about your program. <laughs> so, you know, you, you hope you're doing the right thing because I think it all kind of carries on to, um, you know, what you're doing. Like, you know, I'm not going to sell a, a kid on my school if we don't have a very good program for what, what it is they're doing. Like, I wouldn't be able to look myself in the mirror and looking at my kids and, you know, I'd hope somebody would have the decency to do that as well. So, um, you know, it, it, it it's like that whole process, you know, you're still going to have people in the business that are still in it for themselves as opposed to the, the players that they're, um, that they're working with. And, 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 you know, I always say it's my job to get those players to be better than what they were when they came in and, and, you know, hopefully not have to move back in with mom and dad afterwards and find a job. So I want to close you you with one uh, question, and it's uh, mm-hmm. something I, I I love to do with with guests at the very end, which is I'm I'm going to make you um, 
supreme ruler of American soccer for a day. You are you are the queen of American soccer. There is no king to answer to. You are in charge. You are Queen Elizabeth of American soccer. We are all under your dominion. What would you do with your one day in charge of American soccer? <clears throat> Easiest would be just, well, I would have to make sure my crown's sparkly. Um, but on the side of things, I would make sure to fund, you know, the women's program a lot better than what it's being funded at. And just all encompassing from, you know, stepping up things for a league and stepping up um, pay, but, you know, and, and, you know, I think the other part is, you know, our women's program is so marketable and, you know, people get behind stories that, that a lot of the women have and, you know, you don't necessarily see that on the guy side. And so I think that, you know, fixing and, and, and going after that marketing side and, and um, would, would be something that I would look at. The other thing I would like to look at is, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of relegation. And I think it has to be there because if you're not willing to fix things, you know, you look at New England on the men's side, you look at Sky Blue on the women's side. Like, I would like to see relegation, demotion, promotion. Like, I would like to see that because there's something there to it, you know. Um, you know, I think back to my, you know, like, like I said, I like sports in general, but like, I mean, think about how long the Clippers were freaking horrible because that guy wouldn't put any money into it. And then all of a sudden they go off and, you know, get somebody of merit in there. And now they're, you know, they're not the Clippers of old, you know, type of a deal. So it's like, right. can we find ways to get that relegation? Because, you know, we're losing out on some great investors because they're like, what do you mean? There's no relegation. Um, and, and I think that that, again, like, yeah, it's the one issue I have with American football is, you know, I mean, crap, the Browns were horrible forever. <laughs> like, okay, what, you know, but if there was some ode to going down or up, you know, all right, now are they going to figure out the right people to put in the right situations? And I think that that becomes a big thing for us in general. Um, you know, even just within U.S. soccer, I would like to see, you know, the accountability aspect of things, um, you know, I, I like I, I think that's a a big thing. Like too often we settle, and I don't think we, you know, we're the U.S. We don't have to settle. Absolutely, and yeah. and and I love the correlation that you've made, and and you can tell that that it is it is part of your ethos. In that every time you talk about greatness and excellence, you you keep going back to accountability, and that mm-hmm. that truly is a, a, a big part of what promotion and relegation and open systems are about. Is you're accountable to to your actions and your decisions, your choices, your investments or lack thereof, and there is a inherent um, pressure for you to perform mm-hmm. you, you know no one's having to tell you hey make sure you have a good team on the field because you know that if you don't have a good team on the field you're going down and it it naturally mm-hmm. uh gets gets people to um you know to compete to to invest 
to put resources in. And, and ultimately, I, I think that the entire system, and that's really, I think, how it should be looked at is the entire system gets better because of it. Sure. Do you have an occasional mm-hmm. team or two that doesn't get it right and they struggle and they go down? Yes. And, you know, if you look in, in England, for example, I don't know if you watch the Sunderland Till I Die. Um, oh, my gosh. Series. I absolutely love that. It and was like, fantastic. I so bad for them. <laughs> Me too. But at the same time, but at the same time, they're, they're living – they're living the accountability of their choices. And, 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 and so um, it's part of it. It doesn't mean it's the end of the day for Sunderland. It just means that they're going to have to work their way back and other teams have been working and and have taken their opportunities. And I look at a club like Burnmouth who, who came to the premier league and, and were one of the first clubs that I can remember in England that were very, very smart about, how they approach their first year um they were mm-hmm. they were short on seating and the premier league has a requirement of 12,500 seats by the end of your second year in the league so they had a plan mm-hmm. to, to to expand their stadium they were at like 11 5 12 so they weren't far off but right. instead of putting that money into the stadium in year one, their their manager, Eddie Howe, decided to put that money into his roster. And the other reason why he didn't want to put it into the stadium in year one is that because of the rules of the Premier League where 10% of the tickets have to be allocated to away fans, that would right. have put away supporters behind one of their goals. And the way their stadium was set up at the, at the time – they could leave the away fans tucked up in a corner and and mm-hmm. he wanted to keep that advantage a home field advantage and mm-hmm. and put the money in the players well it's paid off they 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 haven't gotten relegated and they they finished their stadium in year 2 have remained um you know mid table which you know when when you're coming into the premier league and you haven't been there and to get there and to stay I think is is right. is an amazing testament to their work and their decisions. So, mm-hmm. I think oh, you're totally. I think you're spot on with uh, with your answers there, and we really do appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your ideas. And uh, again, your Alexi Lawless moment um, is is going to go down <laughs> uh, in the record book as one of our favorite segments of all time. So, uh, well, like I said, it's nothing against him, but like. You know, it, it's pretty funny to me. Like, and I hate saying this because I was totally that player at Carolina. Which, again, grateful that Jensen didn't kick me to the curb. Um, but you know, I was totally a Debbie Downer. I sucked the life out of people. Now, in my older years, now I look back and I don't want to have any association with anybody who's like that. And so, if I can mute the TV when he talks, that's what I'm going to do because he's just, like I said, a fair weather fan. And, and, you know, like it's, it's one of those things where it's just like you, you talk out of both sides. You know, I, I don't, as a fan, I'd rather you just keep your point or say, you know what, I was wrong about this or whatever in that regard. I think, like I said, at least for me, Taylor Twelman, at least, he, you know, his, what are we doing? Right. He's stuck by his sons. Like, I value that. That's your opinion. Don't waffle back and forth so you can be on this, you know, telecast or this telecast. Make 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 a statement and then either stick by it or not. Or say, look, I'm sorry. But, you know, he's perfect in his mind. 
Well, um, I, I think your comments today have been perfect in my mind. So uh, we we really do, we really do appreciate you coming on the show today and and sharing your thoughts uh, about uh, the women's game, the, the college game. I mean, we we've gone through a whole host of subjects, but uh, you you've been great, and we really do appreciate you spending some time with us today. Well, thank you very much for having me. I love what you're doing, and, and you know, I'm I'm excited to listen to Anthony talk tomorrow. So. Absolutely. Uh, good work. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. All right. Have a good one. All right. Bye. Bye. That was Dawn Crow. She is the head coach of UWSP. Um, that is University of Wisconsin Stevens Point. And um, I just I love her candor and her um, willingness to take a hard look at issues and and you know, be reflective, think about what we can do to get better and challenge, um, you know, our current level and say, is this as good as we can be? Can we get better? And in looking at ways to do that. So I really appreciate her spending some time with us and coming on and, um, and sharing her thoughts, uh, including on Alexi. Uh, I thought that was uh, pretty funny uh, to, to hear that candor from her. Uh, our sponsor this half hour is Charity Water. Charity Water provides clean drinking water to people all over the world. They are changing lives one village at a time. And uh, I hope uh, that you take some time to check them out at charitywater.org. We will be right back after this. No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them, it changes everything. And you could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. Thanks for tuning in this Thursday, June the 20th. Again, the U.S. Women's National Team play a little bit later today at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time against Sweden, and the big match at noon Eastern is the Netherlands and Canada. Thanks for tuning in today. Thanks to Don Crow for coming on the show. I really appreciate her spending some time with us talking about the game and uh, had some really good insights and, uh, and and really enjoyed that conversation. As always, you can watch the show live at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on DanielWorkman.com. We'll see everybody again tomorrow.